Yes, it is, and welcome back. As a lot of us have been um, getting information and lining up behind different candidates for office in um, particularly the Republican primaries, one of the races we haven't focused on, and it's an important one, is that for the Attorney General for the state of Arizona. The current Attorney General, Mark Burnovich, is, uh, is termed out of office, is leaving office so that leaves an open seat, an open race for 2022. On the Republican side, several people are running for office, uh, for that office. And I wanted to start focusing on that race a little bit, as so many people have been asking me uh, if I would uh, do my best to uh, highlight the differences between the various candidacies and candidates. And I'm happy to do so as we start on this process with uh, Abraham Hamaday, H-A-M-A-D-E-H. He is a Republican running for attorney general. His website is Abe for A-G. That's Abe, A-B-E-F-O-R-A-G, abeforag.com. Mr. Hamaday, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Seth. I appreciate it. You can call me Abe. Abe. Thank you. I will. Um, Abe, Tell the audience, first-time guests, I do this with everyone, a little bit about yourself, how you grew up, how you came to be doing what you're doing, and why you're doing what you're, uh, what you're planning to do next. Sure, Seth. I think in order to get to know me, you first have to understand my family. Um, so my family, you know, they're from Syria, so I'm the son of Syrian immigrants, and it's the quintessential American dream story, you know. You know, my parents came here with no education, no money. We were on food stamps and slowly rose our way to the top. Um, and I credit a lot of that to you know, Arizona's entrepreneurial spirit, spirit. But you know, not just my parents, but my brother is a very successful real estate investor and developer in town. And my sister, she settled with her family and raised uh, her kids with her husband, who's a NBA player and champion. So all around the American dream come true. Uh, and then here I am. Uh, I went to ASU for undergrad and University of Arizona for law school. And after that, I. You know, I was a prosecutor at the Maricopa County Attorney's Office where I prosecuted felony crimes, and my jurisdiction was the downtown Phoenix area. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I was, I'm currently an Army captain and intelligence officer, and I just returned from a 14-month-long deployment to Saudi Arabia. I came back in September. Uh, but while I was out there in Saudi Arabia, a really interesting country, Seth, which I'm sure you're familiar with, but um, they're a very transitioning country. But I was in charge of setting up all the... Um, training for the Saudi domestic security forces internally in Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. as well as sending um, Saudi domestic troops to Ranger School training and Navy SEAL school training and all sorts of other Army school training. Um, but it was very interesting because we had to deal with the fallout of the 2019 Pensacola terrorist yes, attack. I don't know yes, if you yes, that. yes, of course. Keith, yes, yes, absolutely. So obviously very tragic um, where three sailors got sh- killed by a Saudi lieutenant actually a pilot mm-hmm. um so we had to deal with the fall you know a lot of that kind of got under you know it got swept under the rug a little bit because there's so much going on that was mm-hmm. december 2019 and then you had covid come yep. on come on but when i went there we had to implement all of the new policies which were enhanced security vetting um which was pretty you know strenuous where we had to implement uh, biometrics on them and do background investigations and that was all in direct response to the the terrorist attack, and I actually led the implementation of that for Saudi Arabia, which then got implemented worldwide. Um, And it was interesting, because Saudi Arabia, which I don't think a lot of, I didn't know at the time, but 
it's our number one purchaser of all U.S. military sales mm-hmm. and equipment in the world. Mm-hmm. There's currently 130 billion in active foreign military sales. Um, so it's it's not like in Iraq or Afghanistan where we can dictate to them a lot of these things. We kind of have to come to a mutual understanding. So there's a lot of diplomacy involved with it. Um, but yeah, that was what I was doing for the past uh, year and a half, basically, when I was overseas. Um, By the way, before I go further, thank you for your service, and I'm glad you pointed it out, uh, uh, Abe. Talk to me a little bit about something you just said there. We'll we'll return to the AG's race in a moment, but uh, just coming off a foreign policy segment, talk to me a little bit about uh, what you said about the changing changing culture or politics of Saudi Arabia. I've heard heard tale of a lot of this. I've been a, a hefty critic. To, to put it no less, uh, to put it no higher, I suppose, of the Saudi regime. Uh, but I have also been reading over the last couple of years that a little bit of light has been shining in there, uh, and there have been some cracks in the obdurateness of that regime. You, that's what you saw as well? Yes, yeah, I think I would have probably you know, agreed with you on, I'm, I was a big critic of the Saudi the Saudi government for a long time. Mm-hmm. However, I do think the Crown Prince MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, has been doing a very good job. And I credit that to actually Donald Trump's relationship with, with him. That was the first country Donald Trump visited as president. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have, they got rid of all the religious police. Uh, they're no longer, you know, draconian in that regard. That old they're, committee they're opening... of virtue that used to go around whipping people, that's done. <laughs> Yeah, that is. I mean, I would have gotten whipped a lot if they were still there. I, I bet. You. I bet. So they they were they're no longer there. Um, it's just a changing country. There, you know, I was there when the Abraham Accords, which was the Donald Trump's initiative, the peace initiative between the UAE, Bahrain, Israel. You know, making peace with Israel finally. And talking to some of the Saudis, I'm certain Saudi Arabia is going to sign on to the Abraham Accords. You know, very very shortly. Well, that would be that would be an earthquake, wouldn't it? That would be an earthquake in the Middle East. Oh yeah, especially because it's such a big country. Yeah, you know, you be the rest of the Middle East. Yeah, no, I I mean, I think those Abraham Accords, uh, they got too short of a shrift. Quite honestly, I think that they were monumentally uh, changing to the region. Uh, and and I don't think enough credit was given for the efforts of Donald Trump, for the efforts of Saudi Arabia's pressure on those uh, smaller emirates. But it was a big damn deal. It was it really was. And when you see some of these countries even welcoming, uh, first of all, allowing Israeli flights, much less welcoming of Israeli dignitaries, that changes a lot in the Middle East, doesn't it? It really does. Oh, completely. I mean, Donald Trump didn't get a credit for a lot of good things he's, he's done, but I mean, that, that is shocking that he was able to move Jerusalem, uh, make Jerusalem the capital of Israel, move the embassy there. Um, so he, he didn't get a credit for a lot, but that was monumental, and it really did get lost um, over the past year. Fascinating background. Uh, we're talking to Abraham Hamaday, H-A-M-A-D-E-H, Abe for A-G.com, A-B-E-F-O-R-A-G.com is his website, because he's running for attorney general here in Arizona. We, along with 40-plus other states, elect our attorney general. Um, Abe, tell me about why you decided to run and what you want to do with that office. You know, honestly, Seth, when I you know, I thought about this, back, you know, I want to take you back to March 2020 with all the shutdowns going on. You know, everybody's at their homes. There's quarantine. Um, businesses were shut down. The retail chain stores were kept open. You know, it was a scary time for me, and I left in July 2020, and I was really worried for the direction of our country. I mean, I remember being at Scottsdale Fashion Square, literally right at the waterfront, when the rioting and looting were going on. 
uh, back in the summer last year. Um, it really worried me. And then fast forward from when I left July 2020 to when I got back in September of this year, 14 months, you know, I came back to a country I no longer recognize. Mm. And it's terrifying at the rate of acceleration the Biden-Harris administration has been going at eroding our constitutional liberties and how quickly us Americans have given them up in time of panic. Um, and you know, something you realize when you've traveled the world like I have is you know, there's nowhere else on the planet that we can replicate America. And when, if, we, if our freedoms get lost here, there's nowhere else to go. I mean, we're seeing what they're doing in Australia right now, and, you know, it's terrifying. But luckily, we've avoided that, and I, I do credit the Second Amendment, luckily. Um, but, you know, primarily why I'm running, I'm running because I'm not going to have our generation be known as the ones who lost this country. We're going to be known as the generation that saved America. And honestly, I took a hard look at this race and who was running in this race because, you know, there's obviously a crowded field. There's five others. Yeah, this may be um, one of the more crowded fields for a Republican race, I think. It might be the most. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think so. There's six candidates with me. Um, but to me, they just represented the same old revolving door of failed candidates and insiders who represent business as usual. So, you know, I decided to jump in. And since I announced on November 1st, we raised over $100,000 in seven days, which I think kind of shocked a lot of people. Um, and I think it just shows the need that people wanted something new. So I think we need new blood, and that's why I'm running. Talk to. I want to go through some of the issues on your website, which is fantastic, by the way. I want to recommend it for people, abeforag.com. You can see him on election, border security, council culture, Second Amendment. But let's go back to what you said uh, stuck in your head so much uh, The the when you were at Fashion Square. I have a break uh, I got to take. Are you good to stay for a little bit with me? Absolutely. I, on the on, when we come back from the break, I'd love to talk to you about how you envisioned those riots as they happened here and across the rest of the country. Because I'm finding across the rest of the country today, there seems to be tremendous amnesia about what took place a year ago, and I think part of it is Abe, and I'll ask you to weigh in on this when we come back. I think part of that amnesia is consequent of too many elected political leaders not saying what they truly thought and feeling that they had to bow to the crowd like university presidents or something. Can we talk about that when we come back? Love to. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Abraham Hamaday running for AG in Arizona, Attorney General. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Our guest is Abraham Hamaday. He is running for Attorney General in Arizona. Abe for AG.com is his website. Abe, if I may, um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, something you said regarding the riots of last year. You were in Scottsdale uh, near Fashion Square when they started here. And it seems a lot of people seem to have forgotten about them if they ever knew about them. Uh, quite frankly, and I think part of that is a cowardice, actually, of so many political and elected leaders and officials not willing to call these riots out for what they were, in the first instance, inexcusable. Uh, and I and, and I would love to get your thoughts on all of that, the animating um, the animating energy behind the riots, and what I think was the pusillanimous response from too many elected officials. Right, Seth. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head right there with the word cowardly. Um, at a time when you're seeing the riots and looting going on across the country, you know, where were our leaders? They were 
they're changing their profile photos to some black square or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's trying to say solidarity, but there is no, there wasn't there was leadership at the time to say, hey, rioting and looting is not protest. And you can be against those things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it just seems like everybody took advantage of the situation and you thought our city's on fire. And it was total lawlessness. Even our police, they were handicapped, right? Because then mm-hmm. you had these elected officials calling to defund our police. Mm-hmm. And you know, what's even worse than defunding our police? They really demoralized mm-hmm. them. A lot of police chiefs least. resigned. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of Carmen Best in Seattle, a black African-American, excuse me, an African-American right. woman, right? Head of the police. Uh, right. And, yeah. and there's, you know, the black Americans actually make up the police at a higher percentage than um, than their population. Mm-hmm. So it was really sad to see you in a time when, you know, I remember 9-11 as a kid and, you know, we used to really respect our police officers yep. in our first response. Yep. And now it's turned into that we can spit on them, we could you know, tear them apart. It's horrible. And it's, you know, a tough profession that they're dealing with. And oh, we have professional involved. athletes calling them pigs and racists <laughs> and, and wearing clothing oh. as such and being honored. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Beth, you know, you know, what's crazy is in the Army, right, we wear one uniform, we have one national anthem, and we have one flag. Mm-hmm. I come back and I turn on the NFL and everything is about race, mm-hmm. and they got a black national anthem. Mm-hmm. It just seems like they're trying to divide us by race, mm-hmm. and it's it's really scary what's going on. And, and I want to reclaim that sentiment that we, you know, the e pluribus unum, out of many, one. And this is what we are. We're Americans first. And it doesn't. So I love the military. It's the great equalizer. Um, doesn't matter if you're black, brown, white, Muslim, Jewish, Christian. You're all in it together. Just you know, fighting for the red, white, and blue. Well, one of the interesting things, if I can connect two thoughts or at least attempt to, (laughs) Abe, is that position with what you said earlier in your own biography and autobiography, that you lived the American dream. You came here in a situation that sounded honestly very much like the the, uh, new lieutenant governor of Virginia, Winsome Sears, very little money in the pocket, uh, even a little bit of welfare. But then you came to achieve the highest stations in this country because – this country affords that. And it seems to me the difference between that narrative and the rioting we took place is the difference of two views of America, whether America is a place that is uh, stymied by systemic racism or whether America is a place that actually is committed to the idea that if you keep your nose clean and watch uh, your own side of the street, uh, there is nothing that can keep you down here. It sounds to me um, like you you obtain with the second. But what do you say to people who believe in the first? What do you say to people who think that this is a country of woe and misery and systemic racism? I think they need to you know, open their eyes. This country has lifted so many people out of poverty, has embraced every single nationality on the face of the earth. You know, the United States is the least racist country in the entire world. And I've traveled the world. Right. I mean, most other countries are very um, homogenous. The United States is a melting pot. So I don't know where they're getting this idea from other than they're being indoctrinated. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, yeah. there's polling out right now that some some Americans think that racism is worse now than it was in the 1950s yeah. and 60s. Yeah. And this is historically untrue and mm-hmm. it's devoid of any facts. So, you know, it's something that we've got to stand strong on. And I and I love Candace Owens and she's been doing a great job in fighting that battle. And you know, it's a lot easier for people like me, you know, to stand up and, you know, call out against this racism going on because 
they have a harder time calling me racist, even though they still will. But you well, know, you, that, you could easily be though. You could easily be the new brown face of white supremacy, as they did to uh, <laughs> as they did to Larry Elder, right? They it doesn't matter. <laughs> the left doesn't care care in that respect, right? They called no. him the black face of white supremacy because his ideas didn't comport with what they thought should uh, be racially. Um, racially indicative thinking. Abe, let me let me do a second thing with you on on all of this that's transpired and is new um to America over the last couple of years. You mentioned COVID and the mandates. I'd like to I'd like to get your your, your thoughts on that as as the um as the, as a candidate for attorney general. So the governor signed a law banning vac uh vaccine uh mandates and other things in our school system. The Supreme Court of the state said that they log rolled too much of it and they couldn't sustain it as our attorney general if you are our attorney general how will you approach the issue of mask and vaccine mandates for our children right well when i'm attorney general i believe in medical freedom Seth. so and it's not just something that you know we have to go on you know what's really sad is that we have to distrust our republican leadership sometimes too because don't forget the covid shutdowns were under republican leadership but this is where the attorney general you know, has really the bully pulpit as well as we have the ability to sue without the governor. So God forbid we've got a Democratic governor and we could sue the federal government or we could even sue it in the state courts. So you know, this is something that's really near and dear to me is not to uh, to prevent a the vaccine mandate from taking effect. And I think what we've seen successfully in other states um, like Texas now has successfully fought back the you know OSHA mandate that was coming on from the Biden administration on employees over 100. But that is something I'm going to vigorously fight the federal government. It seems like, you know, what I intend to do when I'm attorney general is I want the Biden-Harris administration to open up a separate Arizona unit at the DOJ because <laughs> we're going to do that. Um, I like that. I that's will. just going to be my philosophy of the office. I mean, we, I'm, I'm no longer going to sit back and play defense. we got to go on offense in November, and when I'm elected, that's what we're going to do. We're not going to play by their rules. What we've seen when they do by their rules, they change the rules. And no, we're going to go on offense. We're going to fight back. I appreciate that. Nicely stated. Uh, we're talking to Abraham Hamaday. He is running for attorney general here in Arizona. Abe for AG.com. I've got to take another commercial break. When we come back, can we talk a little bit about your views on uh, a couple things on your website that I know uh, are, are uh, positions that uh, m- much of our audience cares a great deal about? Border security, cancel culture, and the Second Amendment. Can we talk about all of that when we come back? Absolutely. I'm speaking with Abraham Hamaday. He is a candidate for AG, and we will be right back. The Republican line, and he is uh, doing his first interview uh, with us, as we will be interviewing all the candidates for attorney general in due course. Your website, Abraham, Abe for AG, it's got all the hot-button issues uh, that are on the minds of our listeners. Love to talk to you about some of them. We've already done a few. Talk to me about uh, talk to the, me and the audience about your views on border security right now, if you don't mind. Sure, Seth. You know, I feel like border security every election cycle just keeps, keeps getting brought up, and I'm shocked that we haven't had a real chance to curing it. Still, I think the best shot we had was under Donald Trump, and you know, he got a lot of the wall finished, but now a lot of the pieces of the wall are just sitting down there and not being constructed. So it's really disappointing to see how the Biden-Harris administration has not finished building the wall. But, 
You know, I think the attorney general, the place that we have, it's not just federal domain. Don't let the people fool you to think this is just the federal government's responsibility. Arizona leaders have responsibility to protect Arizonans from an invasion coming from the south. So I think this is where, you know, the Arizona attorney general, along with the Republican governor, can team up. And what's happening in Texas with Operation Lone Star, it's going pretty good out there with um, the attorney general, Ken Paxton and Greg Abbott. But they've been prosecuting um some illegal immigrants as trespassers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but Arizona presents a little bit of a challenge because so much of our border is actually on federal land or Native American land, but mm-hmm. there are you know parts of that are privately owned land or that are owned by the, by the state. Um, so it's, you know we just got to get creative in how we're going to tackle the border crisis. But and it is something that I do want to also revamp a, a sheriff's posse. We can have all all the county sheriffs uh, posses um, go down to the border and actually set up a security force down there. Um, or even enacting the state guard, not just the National Guard. But I don't think people realize Jan Brewer back 10 years ago um, signed le- legislation that the governor can actually activate a state guard, which we have not done. But in that case, we would you know, have the state guard go down there and actually set up patrols along with her National Guard. Um, even. Talk to me a little bit, too, about some of the worst things that happen as a result of not having a safe and secure border. In and of itself, it's an important thing. Every nation has one or needs one or says they do, except this one for some reason. But what we get from not having one is obviously all the immigration issues that flood our zone. But beyond that, more immediately, a lot of crime, a lot of substance use, a lot of trafficking, and in fact, such substance abuse problems, drug addiction problems, that we now see tremendous increases in youth use of illegal and dangerous substances. Would you address yourself to all of that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely, Seth. I mean, you know, I think people might forget, but just a few years ago in Ahwatukee, right in our suburbs, there was a massive shootout between the drug cartels and the DEA. Right. And actually, Arizona and the Kansas sheriffs were actually kept um, away from that for a while. But you know, I don't think people realize that the drug cartels have invaded our suburbs. Mm-hmm. It's not just a border town issue. That's this right. has gone all the way up to Phoenix, to Flagstaff, to Prescott. It's all over. And the opioid crisis has gotten much worse. And, you know, the drugs are bringing in. It's not pharmaceutical grade. They're very uh, potent. And, and it's something that the attorney general definitely has to take um, take a hard stance on. So as attorney general... We're going to fight back against these cartels, and we can't be under, we can't be afraid of them. Uh, but it's something that the border crime—it's not a local issue. This is a huge issue. As I talk to Arizonans across the state, it affects all sorts of crimes, not just drug crimes. I mean, they're even just organized retail theft. You know, a lot of these crimes that are occurring um, in cities across the country where they're stealing from CVSs and all this. You know, a lot of them are actually very orchestrated crimes, and a lot of them have ties to drug cartels as well. And that's something, as Attorney General, we're going to vigorously prosecute. And we just saw in the legislature this year, um, they actually enacted an organized retail theft unit to be created at the attorney general's office. And so the attorney general will now focus on prosecuting those crimes, um, which is going to be very important since a lot of the counties have you know, lost a lot of funding and they just don't have the bandwidth to prosecute them anymore. But we're going to take an all-hands approach on uh, attacking the, the drug cartels and the border crime issues that are flooding Arizona. Uh, another issue that uh, it's probably one of the first questions you're asked about in your uh, in your events and, and at your speeches, 
and it has to do with Americans and Arizonans' concern about the Second Amendment. A friend of mine <laughs> likes to put it this way. We're going to a break. I'll have you answer this on the way, but on, 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 uh, when we come back, I'll just leave it with this as a, as a thought piece. Uh, a friend of mine uh, 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 likes to put it this way. She says what, um, what, what, what Californians call an arsenal, we call a collection here in Arizona. Would you, uh, would you talk to us about the Second Amendment on the other side of this break, if you don't mind? Our guest is Abraham Hamaday. He is running for attorney general here in the state of Arizona, Abe, A-B-E, for F-O-R-A-G dot com. I don't spell it because I don't think you can't spell. I spell it because a lot of people sometimes use the number instead of the lettering for the word for. Abe, F-O-R-A-G dot com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Abraham Hamaday has been our guest. He's a Republican running for the office of attorney general here in Arizona. Abe, thanks for staying with us. Uh, I know this is on uh, the minds of our audience. I'm sure it comes up in every event you're at. But um, talk to us about the Second Amendment. It's an interesting thing because you're you're running for law enforcement and then at the same time, that involves uh, an, uh, an element uh, of enforcing the law against violent activity, but also upholding what we know as our Second Amendment rights. Would you speak to all that for us? Absolutely, Seth. I mean, the Second Amendment is so sacred, and I truly believe that no other amendment is as important as the Second Amendment, because without it, no other right is secured. Um, but besides just the constitutionality of the Second Amendment, we're looking at the rising crime rates in this country. I mean, it's awful. Phoenix PD is down hundreds, if not thousands, of Phoenix uh, police officers. We're seeing homicide rates skyrocketing. We're seeing police calls taking longer. We're seeing our border um, communities having to take matters to their own hands, you know, trying to protect their families and their property because the, you know, there's no no longer law enforcement occurring on the border. So, you know, the Second Amendment is so paramount to a free society. And I saw it firsthand when I was in Saudi Arabia, Seth. I mean, you go to some of these more authoritarian governments, the first thing they would do is get rid of the gun, right? And, you know, for me, well, you know, working with their security force is a little different, but, you know, they, you know, shootings, is, you know, G35 or MP5, but out there, you see the society. I mean, they don't have as much freedom, and a big part of that is because they don't have the gun. Um, so, you know, obviously, the Second Amendment is such an important part, um, and I'm glad to be in a very constitutional friendly state of Arizona would have high regards for our second amendment. It's a funny thing. It's funny is the wrong, exactly the wrong word. I shouldn't have said, started the sentence that way. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing in a society where all of this second amendment rights, first amendment rights, and then I don't know if you want to throw in maybe the 14th amendment if you, if you need to, but the race issue uh, keeps getting um, so exploited in cases that really should have nothing to do with that sort of thing. I'm thinking of the fallout of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Were you surprised by how much race was grafted onto that, by how much nonsense about gun rights and long rifles and short rifles and guns in state, guns out of state, how much all of that was thrown into the media mix and discussion of that case? Right. And it goes back to what you were talking about, you know, leaders being cowardly. Yeah. yeah. And, and that whole case was a whole, it was a complete sham. It was a political circus. 
you know, as a prosecutor, a former prosecutor, I was offended at the prosecution team out there. Mm. Um, they had no idea what they were doing. This case should have never been indicted. You know, it should have never gone to a grand jury. Any prosecution who had saw the evidence at the time would have never brought that to a grand jury for an indictment. You know, and for the fact that they had to put this poor kid through the horrors of trial, I mean, it, it's really sad what they've done to him. You know, he was 17 at the time, now he's 18 or so. That's what and the world can do now, right? I mean, this is a big danger. And, and maybe the AG needs to open up an office of, 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 of individual uh, character protection, right? This, the, when the media wants to get you, they can ruin you for life, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you see it all across the cancel culture. Once they have a narrative yeah. that they want to try to fix it, they're going to fight tooth and nail to keep it. Look at the whole COVID restrictions, right. you know, the Wuhan lab theory. When they have, you know, big tech censoring that it came from a Wuhan lab, and now all of a sudden, most likely it did come from that. And that's the whole that's the whole idea of the First Amendment. It's there. You can say whatever you want to say, controversial, non-controversial things, but you have an open dialogue and debate. But when you have big tech censoring, like they censored the president of the United States, Donald Trump, how on earth does he not have a platform on Twitter or any of Facebook or any of these other platforms, but the Taliban does? Yeah. You know, Think about that. Yeah, no, think about that. The supreme leader of Iran does. Uh, The communists in America and at ASU do. Uh, David Duke does, but Donald Trump does not. Louis Farrakhan does, but Donald Trump does not. (laughs) No, and all these these companies, you know, not just big tech, but a lot of these other companies like Nike or even the NBA, they built their successes off the United States, and they openly are hostile to it, but then capitulate to anything that China does. And it's offensive, and we should be investigating them in Arizona whenever they open up factories to ensure that they're actually abiding the constitutional, uh, protecting constitutional rights of Americans. And it's really offensive what's going on, and I don't think Americans are going to tolerate it anymore. Abraham, you've been uh, generous with your time. Uh, I appreciate you joining us. Last question for you. Would you ever shut down schools, synagogues, churches, mosques, and enforce the shutting of those down in the name of a virus? Never. Thank you, Abe. Thank you for your time. Abraham Hamaday. A-B-E-F-O-R-A-G is his website, and uh, this is the first in our installments of candidates running for attorney general here in Arizona. It's, as we mentioned, a pretty crowded race, uh, and uh, I would love us to be the... um, the one-stop shop for you to make up your minds. Uh, We'll start there, and now we will move on to the other candidates as we go forward. Again, thank you for your time, uh, Mr. Hamaday, and uh, even more importantly, thank you for your service to this country. Uh, I'm Seth Liebson. How much more time do I have, Bill, here? Do I have? Uh, Good, yeah. Let me just say I'll, I'll finish the show with some concluding thoughts, circling back to what we were saying about the bonfire of the vanities that came out of Wisconsin just over the weekend as a result of everyone on the left, including our current Secretary of State, getting things exactly wrong, getting things exactly wrong. It's a sad thing because the courtroom and the court of justice And particularly when it came to criminal law, comes to criminal law, as we were taught as children, was supposed to be the place where politics was to be absent. There would be a vacuum from politics in the courtroom. Uh, That has not happened. At least where it does happen, 
it's a shame on the political leaders of this country as well as the journalistic class to ensure that politics dominates the downwash and the after effects and in its wake happily moves on to their next crisis to exploit while the rest of us have to deal with the human and financial cost and damage they wrought on us. Better leadership, better understandings of politics, better understandings of American history, better understandings of contemporary America would prevent that. But as um, as Thomas More said, I show you the times. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. As I uh, was saying in my monologue, by the way, if you ever miss it, you can always go to 960thepatriot.com. Everything we do on this show is there for you anytime you want. I was asking, can a man, any man, get a fair trial in this society? And I think the answer to that question, to the extent of that answer, defines just how committed to justice we as a society are, how committed to truth, how committed to reason we as a society are. And I was thinking about that famous image of Lady Justice and how so many people like to comment on her being blindfolded. And it's not quite right because the odd thing about Lady Justice going all the way back to its origins in Roman mythology is she didn't always have a blindfold and sometimes she's indeed depicted without it. Though the one thing she always had was a sword. And what happens to a society, I like to ask, where the sword is unleashed indiscriminately and the blindfold is forgotten, or more important, what happens when the sword is unleashed discriminatingly with the blindfold taken off, which is what happened here. They, that we would call a unjust society or a racist society. And if and only a fairness and equality and justice matter for just one side based on race and ethnicity, then you don't have anything like fairness or justice. It used to be called injustice. So today, thanks to the media and the Democratic Party, it is actually true that what they called for has become our coin of the realm. No justice and no peace. You can thank the Democratic Party for that. And you can thank the most fraudulently used phrase they have foisted on us, that of social justice, for it is neither what is true, what you do see, is that demagoguery and false narratives and lies, they can lead to death. They can lead to killing. I give you what happened in Wisconsin this weekend. You tell enough lies, you simply won't recognize the truth anymore. We should have learned that a long time ago. We'll have to relearn it again at our peril now. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. Class dismissed.